0: Healing can happen when people share their stories. Welcome to Trauma, Trial and Transformation. Discover true stories from those who were called to sit in the witness chair. Experience their journey through the legal process and beyond. This podcast brings to light the trauma and stress caused by testifying under oath and offers resources by talking with witnesses, key litigators, and mental wellness professionals to assist with different approaches one can utilize to prepare to take the stand and how to heal after the encounter. And now, here's your host, Juliet Huck.
1: Greetings, everyone. Welcome to Trauma Trial Transformation from another beautiful sunny day in California. I want to let everyone know today that we're going to talk about a few heavy subjects, and I want others to know that we take the subjects we're talking about seriously, which part of that is going to be talking about the death penalty. So if this subject triggers anything in you, please stop at this point. I just don't want to be here to trigger any additional trauma in someone's life, and we're not here to, to put our yes or no on anything. We're here to talk about the law, and we're talking about humanizing the accused. Uh, and the rights that they have by law. So I just wanted to put that out there at the very beginning in case someone has an issue with that. But my guest today, Victoria Rusk, she has a very emotionally and intense and important job. And I can only say that because I've only been in her shoes once, and I really have a lot of respect for her. She's the founder and owner of Heart of Justice LLC. Victoria is what you call a mitigation specialist. She has a passion for justice and fair sentencing a drive to empower attorneys and defendants, and a working knowledge of the idiosyncrasies of the legal system. So I know she and I have a lot to talk about there. She's created the Mitigation University, an online training program that educates legal professionals and organizations to teach others about the importance of the mitigation process, which we're going to talk about and have her explain here in a minute. She also has a book, which I absorbed over the weekend and just loved it, called The Handbook for Mitigation. The book is a strategic tool for clients and their families to work together with a defense attorney when they have to go to to trial. And so welcome Victoria. Thank you so much for coming over with me today. And I know we've connected on LinkedIn, which God love LinkedIn. So thank you.
2: Oh, thank you so much. Thank you for inviting me. And thank you for reading my book too. And yeah, this is a and just being so tender about the subject matter to all the listeners. That disclaimer was really beautiful. Thank you.
1: Yeah, great. Well, first, why don't, why don't we just kind of, you know, jump into the definition of what, what is, can you define mitigation for us?
2: Mitigation, mitigation, any mitigating evidence is anything that a jury, judge, or even prosecutor, so a decision maker would find mitigating to mitigate a sentence less than the maximum punishment. So a mitigation investigation is all-consuming of the person. So we do not, you know, sentence a person for what they did, but for who they are or who they come to be in that circumstance. We don't mitigate crimes because there's really no excuse for such things. We mitigate a person. Um, Mitigation can be anything from their mental health, traumatic brain injury um, to their relationship with their loved one, whether it's a child or a mother or their first grade teacher, you know, mitigation is kind of like beauty in the eye of the beholder. So mm-hmm. it's for the listener to determine what is mitigating and what could possibly speak to them in a professional setting, setting like with a prosecutor, a lot of time that is um, mental health history, um, military history, um, certain evidence that they find could be motivating to a juror. And so then okay. they come to the terms of that, you know, on their own.
1: Yeah, we're going to, I want to delve into that here a little bit later, because I've got okay. a lot of questions around that, by the way. So when someone hears the word mitigation, like the exact word is when I like, I liked what you said earlier, is like you look at the whole you don't just look at the crime. You really don't look at you know the one section. It's really about the entire being and process and upbringing. And so, in your handbook, you you know you're defined as a mitigation specialist. Can you define what your role is in that?
2: As a mitigation specialist, I'm hired by the attorney to help the attorney do an investigation, which would include me interviewing the client and a number of witnesses and re- requesting and digesting records to help build the, uh, a strong like chronology or timeline of this person's life. And then I vet and help the attorney find the right experts to testify to such evidence and research about how this person or the real why behind the circumstance
1: of the crime, if you will. Yeah. Uh, how'd you get in the business?
2: I was invited. I never knew <laughs> anything like this. Um, I never I knew did. anything like this. Yeah. what? Like, I just didn't know about this profession. And so, yeah, I had a, a colleague friend who said, hey, I think you would be a good mitigation specialist. And I know of this job. And I had gotten laid off from my PR job working for the Epilepsy Foundation in 2008. Oh, wow. And so, yeah, I just was like, you know, in the right place at the right time. And so I started working for a public defender's office that just did capital cases.
1: Oh, wow. So, we're going to define some of these things for our listeners the difference between capital cases and non capital cases. And mitigating factors, you know, things like that, because I know a lot of our listeners don't understand the terminology of that, but we'll talk about that in a second. But, you know, one of the statements in your book, I I really, you know, what I loved about your book, it was so simple and so, you write like I do. It's just very clear. You have some very, very simple statements. I think one of them, let me look here real quick, was just, uh, you know, simple things that just grab somebody It's just like, you know, you know, trust is built on communication and vulnerability, You know, that that was so great. And another one you have is together we can work to humanize the accused and carry out the tenets of of justice in our system. How does that simplicity help in your job?
2: Well, I have to build bridges for people. You know, that's really what I'm doing. I'm helping the attorney build a bridge with their client and with the witnesses that they will be asking to come to testify. I'm building a bridge between the attorney and the experts sometimes because nobody speaks the same language. And so I have to have like this multiple, I don't know, like availability and understanding of so many things going on at one time, because I mean, you know, let's face it, like one day in my job, I can, you know, be looking for a witness who is a lady of the night and where do I find, you know, her and, you know, figuring that, that kind of thing out. And then the next week I'm, you know, having a conversation with a neuroscientist about who's going to come and, you know, visit with my client or a witness or something like that and then the next, you know, time I'm arguing with attorneys because that's the way they <laughs> like to learn. <laughs> and so, yeah. So helping them with their, you know, meeting them where they are too. And I mean, I think that that's just the biggest umbrella is to meet everybody where they are and don't take things personally, right? And then, you know, uh, just right. the normal everyday mm-hmm. people, you know, somebody that's just like my mama or my grandma that I'm going to visit. I mean, I need to be available to, you know, like knowing how to build relationships and how, you know, how we just talk to one another, how do we connect, mm-hmm. you know, just like, to me, that's basics. like, yeah, it feels like it's basics, but some people don't have that all the way and you have to be <laughs>
1: right. okay with it. Right. you have to find ways to And that's why we have such parallel worlds because it's when to do witness prep, it's, we have to meet them where they are. It's not about us, right? It's about that person being, being vulnerable, building that trust and working together. So it's, um, but I want, I want to talk about dive in a little deeper on the the traumatic side of this because, you know, obviously capital murder cases uh, can obviously be very intense. I've, I've worked on a few. So one place that you and I really connect is, and I, correct me if i'm wrong here but that everyone has the right to a fair story which has been my mantra in my company since the day i started it because we don't always get to choose our clients but you know which most of the time the general public also has a very hard time running into people that are very against the you know the accused and especially when there's a lot of emotion, especially like in a capital case. And let me just real quickly define a capital case: there are cases that the defendant, if the defendant is guilty, he or she will face the death penalty. And that's a pretty heavy-duty scenario, not only for that person but for the victim, for all the people involved in the families. And you know, it's it's really hard to separate like the logic and the emotion. So wouldn't you think, I mean, h- how is it that you can work with client between the logic world, logical world and the emotional world?
2: Well, I don't really try to separate them. And I gave myself permission a long time ago to love everybody that I want to love. So I don't get to get a pass on anything. And, mm-hmm. um, you know, and then I learn the older that I get that there are no passes. You're going to have to cross the bridge sometime. So, you know, compassion fatigue is real, but there's no separating logical from the emotional. And I strongly believe it's feelings before facts and our, our decision makers are making emotional choices, but so are our clients and so are their loved ones. And so are the people who are just a few degrees separation from the accused person. And Mm -hmm. so talking to a teacher that maybe you know just only knew this person for one or two years, they might not even allow me to talk to them at first. I've had a lot of doors slammed in my face.
1: I was going to ask you about that if you do you have a lot of people that really turned you down and don't want anything to do with you I would assume especially if it's someone who has committed a really heinous crime, you go through that?
2: Yes, for sure. You know, and then even just promoting as I do about mitigation as the field of work, going on a radio show or a podcast, but really sometimes it's on the radio shows that I've had people who have been impacted or who are victims of violent crimes call mm-hmm. up right then and there. And I have to have the skill set and the willingness to have the conversation or invite. To another time and place to have the conversation and what Mm -hmm. I my experience is is that that conversation doesn't want to be had they just want to be heard in their anger and their pain and that's Mm -hmm. fine and that's listening and being heard is good medicine too and I'm happy to help Mm -hmm. but I have to I have to be able to discern in those moments what's going on
1: right yeah that you know I think a lot of people know this, and there might be some people that don't know this, but, you know, I worked on trying to humanize one of the most hated men in America a few years ago, which was Scott Peterson. That case, you know, I spent a lot of time after the verdict. So, so let's kind of clarify that the, the, the mitigation phase and penalty phase is not part of the main trial. It has to come after a verdict of guilty. And I know for me, I spent tons of time looking through photographs and just the life story. and. You know, how do you separate yourself from that process? Because I know it's it's still stuck with me. And but how, how do you separate yourself?
2: I just know that like first things first, I, I, I realized and I found out real quick that I can't try to help clean up somebody else's backyard if I don't do it myself. Right. So I learned right. I learned right I learned right fast <laughs> that I needed to get in integrity with my own people, with my own family and my own, you know, childhood obstacles, life circumstances, living in the crisis of poverty. I had to get real serious about what that looked like and have hard conversations with my soulmates, with my loved ones. So that way I could walk free and clear and really be free in my, in my work. So that you know that understanding of integrity is almost spiritual. So I took yeah. that on head on because I didn't want to mess with that. And I yeah, knew right. that like I could have all this professional success, but if I didn't have personal success, I'm not winning.
1: Well, it's it's interesting to say that because that that's kind of what broke me. Is I thought I could, and I realized right. I couldn't, and it, it caught up with me in that sense to really break me in a place. And Scott's case, really did. Uh, it was an awakening, what I always call the awakening, everything I write about and working on a book about that because it was, it was a spiritual moment of really meeting yourself in the place of, you know, what's, what's going on with this thing called life. Right. And you've got this emotional side of right and wrong. You've got a moral side, you've got, you know, the integrity. um, And you've got, like you said, a family who has just been ripped apart and um, you know, you've got a, that is a a lot of people aren't spiritually ready to even heal from anything like that so when you work with a client or when does somebody actually call you in
2: so an attorney calls me as soon as you know he you know either gets hired or appointed right and, and capital cases you know I'm completing my last capital case now you know 10 12 years kind of give or take you know that's enough for me I did my mm-hmm. part you know so they you should hire a mitigation specialist as soon as you're, you know, that you hire the attorney, right. like they're looking right. at the case. And, and I just want to say too, that it doesn't mean that they're you're going to, you know, plead guilty, like from the beginning just because you're preparing for punishment. But look, it's, you know, it's like, it's the game. Of, it's a game. It's a trial game. You need to prep. There's no half time to go work on anything and then you get to <laughs> come back. So you have to do everything right. and be prepared at, at your trial date.
1: Yeah, I, always, I, I like to always say that the team that always wins is the one that's most prepared on the steps, for sure. That's because right, it's, yeah. I've seen it happen over and over again. And I I myself, in the same way, I'm, I'm not going any further on the capital case up in San Mateo. But let's talk about the accused. And again, if anyone's listening to this, um, I just want to, you know, just forewarn you that we, we need to talk about some people as humans, whether they have had flaws and have you know, done some heinous things, but, you know, we don't really even, you know, life circumstances kind of lead us to the crime a lot of times. And I've always been a big believer to that too. And so, which most people don't hear about unless they're, it's highlighted like for the jury, the judges. Why do you think people don't stop for a second just to think, wow, I wonder what happened to that person?
2: I mean, I think that, you know, the, I think that they kind of do. I think that their judgment is the shame around the accused and or what they're accused of doing. There's a lot of shame and a lot of drama yeah. and a lot of their own you know, personal experiences that they just want to disassociate with that action or that accusation. Um, I think it gets real personal.
1: Yeah, you say in your book, actually, it says it takes courage to speak about shame, family drama, love, incest, poverty, neglect, and the complexity of, of one's life. So how do you work with a witness who's, ha, who has to sit up there and just admit their deepest mistakes to save another person's life? How, how do you talk to them?
2: Well, I mean, it takes hours. You know, you don't get to, uh, trial ready in, you know, eight hours. You don't get a person to be able to disclose information because that's the thing. I'm not asking any direct questions. When I'm interviewing um, and learning more about the life of my client, I'm listening 90% of the time and I'm listening for feelings and needs and I'm validating and mirroring. I, um, I know that I'll get to it and or that the information will be shown to me. And I get to learn so much just by observing and listening. I have already read the books. I already have (laughs) life experience. I have professional experience. I know what's going on when it's going on. So having my, my experience to kind of rest my hat on, I really don't get anxious about there is no agenda. I just don't mm-hmm. do that. And lawyers know before they hire me or ask me to come onto a case how I do things. If they haven't read my book, well, at least now I have that <laughs> since 2020 right. to be like, please, you know, just just read a couple of mm-hmm. chapters because I want you to know what is going, you know, what, how I'm going to conduct my mitigation investigation and help you. And so, yeah, I think that, you know, meeting people where they're at and letting them tell you what their truth is first and foremost
1: yeah, that's I like I I realized myself too early in my career. Your personal agenda is out the door. You just you're there to to do what others need and to really help. And I think that's kind of what made me somewhat successful because we really are in the business of empathy. And more people that I talk to on this podcast that are involved in the litigation and legal world are really in the business of a lot of empathy, which I don't think has ever really been labeled. But you, I feel you are very much in that that situation as well, right?
2: Yes. Yeah.
1: Yeah, I can tell you're very empathetic in that, in that way. So, you know, I, uh, you also talked about, I want to talk about just about the law. You know, you talk about the Supreme Court ruling, which I didn't know this, actually, that I don't think most people even would think about. But when a jury needs to decide between life in prison and the death penalty, they may consider mitigating evidence. And they weigh the mitigating factors against the aggregating factors. So first, what is mitigating evidence. And second, can you explain the difference between mitigating and aggravating? Mm
2: -hmm. Yeah, so aggravating can be like past criminal history, and calling the, the victims of those crimes to testify in this death penalty trial. It can be jail phone calls, letters. It can be fights in the jail. Um, It also can be anything that they just want to go and dig up, whatever, you know, they might Mm -hmm. find. I mean, I don't see, I haven't witnessed prosecutors doing a lot of that work. They just really go through the criminal history and anything that might have happened at the jail. And yeah, I mean, I had a client um, beat up a guard and they had it on video and that's pretty Mm -hmm. aggravating. Yeah, and then the mitigating you know <laughs> I I, under, I appreciate and incorporate strength based you know approach to what's going on in our my cases so you know I've worked on a death penalty case easy 400 500 800 hours and so then Looking at what it, what our strengths are and what those witnesses might say, so it can be you know you don't know it's unique to the person and to the case, mm-hmm. but it would it's going to be like showing the connection between the accused person and their family members, their children, and their contributions, their artistic side, right? Whether they're mm-hmm. a rapper or a painter, or they write poetry, or they draw really well, um, or they had a business that they were really proud of and they, they share, you know, that kind of information. Sure. That's all good. But the other mitigating stuff is like, Hey, this person has a severe anxiety disorder. These are the symptoms. This is the evidence of the symptoms. Being able to do a brain scan and show a traumatic brain injury. That's really, really old. And what that um, impact has on them before and after the, that the injury or the accident, So those things can be mitigating, but the science doesn't, the science doesn't hit like the emotional rapport of somebody coming on being like, look, whenever we were this age, you know, this man saved my life. And so I'm going to do, you know, and be here for him or Mm -hmm. her because of this thing, this is what happened. And, and then the, the lawyer is pulling that information out by asking proper questions and also being empathic themselves. Mm-hmm. And that emotion transfers strongly.
1: Yeah, great word empathic. I love that word. It's, uh, we don't use it enough. It's, uh, I definitely think I'm an empath, and I know a lot of people that are that don't even know that they are. And um, right. but I do find really good lawyers. If I walked in the conference room and said, "Oh, I think you're so empathic," they probably throw me out. But but right. at the same time, I can really see that that really good lawyers uh, are very much in touch with that side of themselves. But mm-hmm. the um, the other thing you talked about too is I'd, and another thing I didn't know. So I learned so much from you over the weekend, Victoria. Yay. The Supreme Court also found yeah, also found in June of twenty twenty that an attorney for a death penalty case who did not investigate the client's life, including their childhood, had provided ineffective counseling. I, I didn't know that. I think that's very, very powerful.
2: Yes. Well, the ABA guidelines require that you have a mitigation specialist on the team for death penalty cases, and it's becoming way more, you know, popular and like a priority for felony Mm -hmm. cases too, you know, like a lot, you know, yeah. So, I mean, I feel like lawyers are, you know, picking up what we're putting down, you know, and they see Mm -hmm. that, you know, it does have a big positive impact on sentencing and that equates to winning, which all lawyers like to win. So let's help them, right? (laughs) And so, yeah, I mean, if you don't prepare for punishment, I mean, the thing is, is that to have certain case law come down, you have to go to trial. That means not take a plea. You got to go through trial and then you have to do the appeal. And then the higher court has to say, yeah, they should have done a mitigation investigation. And so when that case law comes, you know, Mm -hmm. comes about, then us mitigation specialists and or, you know, criminal defense attorneys, We can run with it, so we can hire more mitigation specialists and get more funding or support in mm-hmm. preparing for
1: punishment. Yeah, that's a little side note there. You said the ABA, just for others that don't know, that's the American Bar Association, because that's that's something that's pretty big that's that's mm-hmm. been adopted. And um, yes, I, and it's something that, not from a mitigation standpoint, for my job is with witness prep is to again. Talk to the witness of who they are and where they are, so you can understand where their direct's going to go and how they're going to tell their story. Because the other thing that you and I very much connect on is storytelling, and this everyone's life is a story, right? They're, it's our story, our individual thumbprint story, and we, you know, don't take time to stop and ask the questions of like, who are you and what's happened to you and where have you been in your life and. So I think it's just pretty, pretty incredible that you're able to do that on a day to day basis. But I, let's move a little bit into the to the healing side of this, what I, the transformation side. So, do you ever talk to your clients about the healing process? And if so, how do you approach it? Like after they've gone through this, or prior to? Have you, you talked to them about that? Well, when I'm with my clients,
2: I mean, you know, it just depends on where we are in the process, you know. But I mean, I I speak like this with them. Right. And Mm -hmm. if I see something, you know, or have a feeling about something or, you know, they're just struggling with their own processing and the fear of the future and, you know, whatever. I mean, I've talked to them about how, you know, you need, let's get some oxygen in your body. Mm -hmm. You know, let's, let's breathe. Let's, you know, I've talked to my clients about meditation. I've talked to them about how to heal your brain on the cellular level with meditation.
0: And that mm-hmm.
2: if you have your I mean, I have a client right now who is long term in um solitary confinement. And so knowing that and help and like just him knowing more about his own biology that it doesn't mm-hmm. have to hurt you. it doesn't have to hurt you but know what this is what's happening when you are more than you know i think it's 86 days in solitary confinement like you just part of your stress hormone isn't there and so you will feel vulnerable that's what it mm-hmm. is you're feeling vulnerable whenever you get when you get access to somebody else because you don't have that defense mechanism. Don't ask Mm -hmm. me the name of the hormone right now because I can't (laughs) think of it. But it's like, you know, so just saying like that type of uh, deep breathing and focused on yourself and just knowing yourself on the cellular level is there, right? When it comes to the storytelling part, they're learning a lot more about themselves through Mm -hmm. mitigation, investigation. And so is their mom. So is their dad, their stepdad, Mm -hmm. their, their sister, their cousin, their auntie. They're learning a lot more about Mm -hmm. themselves through this process. And, and, you know, because I'm not saying like, well, your mama told me this, like, I don't have any of those conversations. They're just one-on-one conversation. And when that comes up, I say, hey, you know, I really have to report protect the rapport and the relationship that I'm building with them. So I'm not sharing everything Mm -hmm. because it's important for your case and for our trial that we be on the up and up with integrity. So if somebody tells me something in private, I can share it with the attorney, but even some witnesses or the client can't be, you know, can't know about that until the timing is right. And, um, I hope they trust me so much to know that I'm, you know, utilizing my Discernment in that way to be protective of them and their relationships because I care about how they feel about each other.
1: Well, it's trust. Yeah. Right? They're, they're, that's building that trust. I mean, they're in a really precarious position there when it comes down to to that scenario of like who said what and who said this about me and why. You know, that's got to be a tough position.
2: I mean, the other thing that comes to mind is that, like, I'm always researching, you know, holistic healing and um, all kind of biohacks and stuff like that. And so Mm -hmm. that can be a part of our conversation, just sharing information
1: about Mm -hmm. what it
2: is or what they're going through. Or, you know, I'm not afraid to say, like, look, here's a pen and paper right now. I'm going to for the next five to seven minutes, let's just write good thoughts that we're going to practice. And so then then we'll be then we'll be ready to interview because you know, you got all this going on up here, like this is just messy, like you just need to write it all out and then we need to rewrite or you know but it just depends or i can even say like you know repeat after me everything is always working out for me like i don't mind taking that time to do my own like my own self coaching that i do for <laughs> myself and share right. that and be a right. good you know friend role model coach whatever you want to call it with my client with their family member with my attorney i mean it's the attorneys, yeah. like the attorneys right. are the ones who like, I'm like, yo, 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 we need to calm it down. Like, right. and let's get into our bodies. Let's, you know, go smoke a cigarette, come back, whatever, because we're, you know, we're starting to, you know, manifest something that is really out of our, con- like, not that we can't do anything about we're manifesting, you know, some, no, we don't want this kind of anxiety. Let's just stop that. Right. You know, So I feel like it's, you know, friendly.
1: Well, it's, it's grounding. I mean, it sounds like, you know, I mean, it's, it's a, it's a grounding point of, you know, all all of us in our lives, it gets so hectic and, and crazy. But when that kind of situation, when it's so intense, it's the groundingness is even more important in that way.
2: Yeah. And this is the, this is the most important trial to a lawyer you know, a death penalty case. This is the most, this is the most traumatic thing that's ever happened to my client, right? Being a part of, um, a murder case or, you know, like a heinous crime, this is the most traumatic thing that ever happened to them that they did. And then they're living, you know, with this and the evidence is there. Like most of the time, nobody's calling me unless the evidence is stacked, stacked, stacked.
1: Right. So, you know, actually, uh, I'm bringing on um, Fritzi Hortzman, who is the uh, who founded the Compassion Prison Project. Next time, I, I think it's either next podcast or the one after this, and we're just falling right in line in all this great conversation because she's she's right up this alley. It's just you know we're looking at each other as human beings, and yes, we have all made mistakes. Some are horrendous mistakes. Some of them are regretful some don't have regret i mean it's it's again the thumbprint that we're looking at but you also did mention something that i thought was so interesting um, is the s- spiritual dimension at the heart of mitigation investigation what, what do you mean by that i loved that
2: the art of allowing the the knowing Once you are, you know, doing this profession for a while and you start to understand that the information is going to come to you and then you start to believe it, then you really start to see it. So there's like this spiritual component, which I totally want to write a book about, that this understanding that timing requesting funding, some of these Mm -hmm. like really tangible things that can be Mm -hmm. so bothersome to the human are not to the spirit. And Mm -hmm. so having this like understanding and practice, you know, faith-based mitigation, Mm -hmm. if you will, you know, Mm -hmm. just having this huge flex that like, if you have to force it, that's not the answer. And yeah. understanding how you have a push pull with certain people, having an understanding and a piece around breakdowns for breakthroughs, like trying to explain to a right. lawyer, like, "Hey, we have time for a breakdown because we we can make it through the breakthrough, and then trial, will still have time to get to trial, like, and not
1: be, right?
2: You know, in a predicament." Yeah,
1: and a lot of times <laughs> it takes a breakdown, doesn't it? I mean, it, it takes a breakdown in order to really see that you need help. And, um, that's, that's the whole part of really being present, Mm -hmm. being there for them. What I call holding space. Sometimes, you know, I've done that with witnesses. I'm just like, just tell me what's going on today. And I've had people open up to me that I'm like, Whoa, I had no idea that, you know, this is what's happening, but you know, there's no judgment. It's just, you come here to help and, and walk them through that. So, you know, you, talked about in one of our emails, uh, a scenario where you saw healing right before your eyes. Like, can you, can you tell me that scenario? I, I we're going to have to cut up here yeah. shortly, but I just wanted to, I wanted to get the yeah. story.
2: So, um, yeah, this is like just such a wonderful, um, testimony of how powerful, testifying is. So, you know, it was, I started a case in like, you know, 2017, we went to trial in 2019, but my client's mom had been through so much as a single mom. And then, uh, you know, got, you know, got married to a not so nice man. And, you know, she had a lot to share and, you know, I probably honestly spent 60 hours with her and learned so much about her and, we go to trial and that's scary because her baby is facing the death penalty yeah. and i mean i don't care if he's 40 years old that's our baby and so yeah. every day we're going you know having to organize and get you know be worried about going you know not being able to go to work because mm-hmm. she knew the right thing was to do was to be there every mm-hmm. day. And so her yeah. job was on the line. But the thing about her testifying and sharing all that, you know, I was so scared or nervous because it can be re-traumatizing the things that she has to share right. about what she's experienced and what her son witnessed. Because that's a part of his anxiety disorder if we get real Mm -hmm. practical about it so she needs to share it if she can and so the whole time doing mitigation investigation I'm understanding that her coming to court has a you know is because or could be one of the reasons about who's in the courtroom with her and like how Mm -hmm. she gets there like how mm-hmm. I can support her, knowing that it's there and that she's already had this conversation with me via an interview. But anyway, so she gets on the stand, she does the, the her testimony. She does a great job, you know, her best, whatever that looks like. You know, I'm not really hearing everything because I'm in and out and. Talking with other witnesses mm-hmm. and you know, getting them there and just making sure everybody's showing up, right? Well, the next morning I go and I say, Hey, you know, how how are you feeling this morning? Are you all right? And I don't know what she's gonna say, but she straight up tells me that testifying was such a blessing. Testifying, I felt heard. Everybody was listening to me. And I never said this stuff to anybody except really you and my sister. And, you know, and then they saw stuff, but I just, you know, also she's of the generation that doesn't talk about what's happening outside Mm -hmm. the home. That's huge. So then she's here, you know, and she said, hey, I was heard, I was listened to. I felt important. And this really helped me. And I, you know, talked to my pastor about, you know, testifying and what it was doing and she was like no I felt like this was healing because I really got to just tell my story and I was heard and it just happened to be in this way and I wow. thought oh my wow. gosh but I, <laughs> I still can't take on and or celebrate I need to still stay cool and just say right. thank you so much for sharing and take that in and I thought man I would that's a miracle
1: yeah that was That's incredible. But that it, it's such a great story. Such a great story. Because I've been with so many witnesses that, you know, especially family members or something. And it's just, I know it's how painful it can be. But that's why I want to do this podcast. Because like you said, it triggers. You have to go back to the trauma. You have to relive it. And then what's really inside there. And that testimony sometimes can be hard. It can be easy. It can be healing. Well, Victoria, I, real quickly, what do you do for your self-care?
2: Oh, my self-care is like, you know, staying hydrated and resting, number one. You know, n- don't do anything that you don't want to do. Like there's things that we have to do, but yeah. you know when you have to do them and you know those deadlines. So if you're having some kind of procrastination thing, I think that it, you need to go with the flow, you know. And then I do mm-hmm. my own holistic, holistic care by, mm-hmm. you know – I mean, you name it. But the number one thing I do is new decision therapy. And that hmm. holistic mo- that healing modality helped me so much through so, you know, because the power of forgiveness. And then I yeah. would say too, like I've been to some silent retreats where you just don't talk
1: for mm-hmm. 10 days. I've been to two of those and I just, it's really powerful, isn't it? Yeah.
2: And so just there's there's stuff that I'm just open to doing. And if someone says, mm-hmm. hey, you want to come to me with the, to this sound bath? I'm like, yep you know, just like anything that doesn't, yep. that, you know, can touch you on a cellular level or in a frequency vibe type way. Oh, I'm, yeah. I'm, I'm there.
1: Wow. Well, we have, we have so much in common. I'm telling <laughs> you now, Victoria, we do. I, I'm the same way you put me in a sweat, you know, sweat lodge. You put me right. here. I'm like, I, I, I just, I want to experience that because that only makes me a, a better person in a way that brings my emotions forward and, and allows me the healing or, Allows me to have more compassion.
2: Yeah, because I need help crying.
1: Yeah. I right? need help crying.
2: So, I mean, there for a while, I was like, oh, cold showers, that's what it is. Okay. Well, then okay. you get in that cold shower okay. and you suck that oxygen in, and then bam, you're crying at the end of it.
1: Yeah, <laughs> that's great. Well, Victoria, thank, thank you so much. I mean, I'm sure down the road, we obviously have a lot to keep connecting with, but I'm sure down the road, we would love to probably bring you back and talk about some other things as current events happen. But Thank you very much for, for coming on and talking to me about this kind of sensitive subject. I, I really appreciate the work you're doing, and I appreciate being a guest.
2: Thank you. Thank you so much. I appreciate it.
1: And how would people f- how would people find you?
2: Um, you can visit my website. So it's um, mitigationuniversity.com or heartofjustice.org, or you can find me on LinkedIn. My name, Victoria Rusk, or if you want to get closer you i'm in houston texas
1: <laughs> okay i can tell there's a little texas accent in there so yeah. it's like okay so well thank you very much i really appreciate it so so everybody out there i just want to give some a couple seconds to this conversation because there are a lot of people that are victims there's a lot of people that are hurting there's a lot of people we've seen a lot of tragedy just in the last few weeks here around los angeles and it's, it's it's hard to swallow. It's hard to understand. And it's hard to sometimes get to that empathetic or compassionate place. But when you can, you can work on forgiveness or at least try to understand. So thanks again, everybody, for listening. I look forward to uh, our next couple episodes. They're going to be good ones, big ones like, like this one. And just don't forget to go out and spread the love. Thanks.
0: Thanks for listening to Trauma, Trial, and Transformation. If you want to share your experience as a witness, please forward your information to info at JulietHuck.com. For more information on Juliet's 30-year career in the courtroom, visit us at juliethuck.com. There you can find her books, The Equation of Persuasion, and 50 Ways to Get Your Way, available on Amazon. Remember to follow and subscribe to Trauma, Trial, and Transformation wherever you listen to podcasts.